And welcome to Tell Me Your Story. This is a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and I thank you so much for joining us. Our regular broadcasts are 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Sundays, Mondays at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also... On SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. Too numerous to mention because I don't have enough air in the lungs to uh, get it all in one shot there. But I thank you for reposting our interviews, our podcasts to other locations, and expanding our reach uh, to others who are interested in what we're talking about, our guests and the, and the ideas that they have that are uh, uh, they're bringing out. And we thank you for doing that. We are also on YouTube. You can watch these interviews with our guests. Uh, some of our guests are just like me. We got a single camera shot. Other guests, they have a full studio. They've got uh, 50 or 60 people sitting around just for a podcast, a video cast. <laughs> it all depends on how you look at it. And I'll tell you what, I don't envy them in the least simply because... Hey, you work with what you can, and uh, uh, I thank you for watching us regardless of where you are uh, getting these programs, getting this information. Uh, please continue to do so. Also, if you'd like to support the work that we are doing, we would greatly appreciate any support you could send us financially. That is why we have a PayPal and Patreon account. That is for your security as well as ours. We are also asking you... I am not begging you. I am cajoling you. I am encouraging you to spend time during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, going within, spending time, spending that time being quiet, finding peace, find tranquility, and relax, rejuvenate, re-energize, listen to that still small voice. It is there for your benefit. It is not there to take you down some primrose uh, lane or something of that nature. It is there to guide you and give you instruction and insight and information that is exclusively for you. I know when I talk about the Christian radio station and people said, uh, people will come up and say, God told me to tell you, I'm sorry, I have a direct line. I don't need you, but you can share this with me. And if I confirm it from within, hey, wonderful. Uh, but it's information for me. It's, it's direction for me. So, Please spend that time during this decade of perfect vision. Um, some people say that when this whole pandemic thing is over, we are going to enter the uh, 100th anniversary, so to speak, of the Roaring Twenties. People are just going to go berserk because they're going to be able to go out and run around and hug people and kiss people and shake hands and all of that good stuff. All right. Hey, take it slow. All right. Little at a time. <laughs> Little at a time. Let's not uh, go too far into that. But. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for participating, especially when it comes to our guest who is going to be sharing with us a very interesting concept on how to be bigger than you think you are, and we are going to be talking with our very special guest, Peter Alessandria, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I, 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 I mean, my questions are already coming, but first, hey, it's great to have you on the program and beautiful set you have. Great. Thank you, Richard. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Now, let's start with, um, with this aspect of being bigger than you think you are. Um, I'm going to ask this question in, <laughs> in regards to our most recent past. Uh, what is the difference between being bigger than you think it you are 
and psychopathism or narcissism? That's actually a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Uh, the title of my book and, and one of the basic premises of my book comes from the idea that what holds us back in life are our own limiting thoughts and beliefs about ourselves. So for me, when I say be bigger than you think you are, it means overcoming those limits that I placed upon myself as to, one, how lovable I am, and number two, how capable I am. So when I move beyond those limiting thoughts and beliefs about myself, then I can actually be of service in the world. I can actually be helpful to other people. I can actually be uh, the light for others that inspires them to their own light. Well, I will tell you that one of the challenges uh, that I faced early on in my career in this business, broadcasting, uh, and I actually told myself this. I said, uh, okay, keep yourself smaller than your pants. You've heard the old saying, getting too big for your britches. <laughs> because the universe has this uncanny way in my life when I get too big for my britches, of um, knocking me down a few pegs, uh, basically saying, excuse me. In other words, I am here talking with you today, Peter, not because of everything that I did. Granted, I did the work. I did the production. I did the interviews. I did this, that, and the other. It is literally a cast of thousands of supporting cast members who have helped me both uh, personal friends as well as the notables. I went to the Larry King School of Broadcasting. Ever heard of it? No, because it doesn't really exist except in my mind. But I learned from him. I learned from a myriad of different people. So when we start this process of going down this road, of, think, of being bigger than we think we are, uh, how do you teach people how to begin that process of uh, keeping, you know, keeping the balance, okay, between those two aspects of the stuff I've done and then the support I've gotten, uh, and incorporating that into the mind because, hey, even I, and I, I don't know about you, I mean, you're human too, I'm sure that you from time to time get those little twinges of, I don't think I'm really worthy, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm not. No. And now when people compliment me, I just, I used to go into explanation, well, you know, I did that. Now, and I thought, that's putting people off. So now I just say, thank you. <laughs> so. Well, Richard, that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's exactly where, that's exactly how I see it. The thing I don't want us to do is hide our gifts from the world because, of exactly what you said. Uh, for me, I realized I had this self-image that says, I w I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. People are not gonna like anything for the world. So that's what I'm talking about. It's moving from that place to a place of, you know, willing to take that risk, because I'm sure you know as well as anybody, it's a risk to put yourself out there. The specific journey for me was when I moved from being a, from being a lawyer to a photographer. And as a lawyer, I had the education, I had the background, I had the experience, but I've never taken a photography class. I've never taken an art appreciation class, you know, and I changed careers and said, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a photographer. And that's when the voices started. And the voices said, who do you think you are? 
You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Nobody's going to like you. Nobody's going to like your work. And that voice is what kept me small. That's what kept my life small. That's what kept me hiding out from life. Now, that is so, not the still small voice that we talk about in practicing uh, perfect vision in the 2020s. That's something different. That's the, what is that? The ego? The uh, intellect? Uh, where's that coming from? That, that particular voice? Well, you, you mean the shaming negative voice? The shaming negative voice. Sure, that's the ego. That's um, that's just that. That's the self-image that I carried with me from my childhood and from my my life experiences. Which, because I had those thoughts and beliefs about myself, I created those experiences in my life. And then all of a sudden, I had evidence to back it up. So I really must not be good enough. I really must not have what it takes. So. So it's those negative voices that I wasn't even really aware of that were running my life, that were keeping my life very small. So when I say be bigger than you think you are, it's moving past that and stepping into our rightful place. Now, to get to your point, the point you made earlier, I'm under no illusion that, you know, if, I, if I'm too big for my britches, believe me, I'm going to find out. The world, uh, you know, life has a way of humbling us. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've had that experience, even as a photographer. And, and the story is, I went from somebody who never won an award for anything in my life, somebody who's won more than 70 awards for my photography. I went from somebody who never dreamed it was possible to have a photo published in a newspaper or magazine or anything like that, to someone whose photos have been seen around the world. And from someone who never thought I could sell a photo or license an image to somebody who sold photos to collectors as far away as Australia. Mm. So that's the good news. Mm -hmm. And what it took was overcoming all those thoughts and those little, the little voice that said, oh, don't, 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 don't even try. Don't even try because it's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. You're going to be rejected. Nobody's going to like you. You're not good enough. So I'm talking about moving past that and then stepping into the gifts that I believe we've all been given to share with the world. And if we do get too big for our britches, you know, we're going to be put in our place. So I'm not too worried about that. No. Uh, and, and honestly, the universe is fairly gentle about doing that. It's just a, like a little, a little reminder. It's not a two by four across the side of the head, at least not usually. <laughs> now, depends, you, but yeah. you and I were not born into this world with those negative limiting thoughts. Where in the world did they come from? He asked facetiously and knowing what the answer is. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's a great question to ask because, first of all, I wasn't even aware that these were the thoughts and beliefs that were running my life. I just assumed that this was just the way I was, that I was just somebody who I had certain, you know, um, uh, gifts or talents, but it was a very limiting idea about myself. And then the idea of being visible where people, because as a lawyer, I never had to, nobody ever saw me. I never had to um, show myself. I mean, that was the other thing about being an artist. You know, when you put your work out there for the world to see, people, most people love my work, but there are people who've taken shots at me, you know, who have something negative to say. And so learning how to navigate all of that. Um, so, so, you know, again, I'm not too worried about being too big, mm -hmm. but I do notice that for me, a lot of those voices um, came from childhood experiences where 
I didn't understand because of the limited capabilities of a child, I didn't really understand what was happening. And children are egocentric, meaning they make everything about them, and children are literal. So when those messages came in by very well-intended, very loving, very giving, you know, wonderful parents, that when sometimes they were having a bad day or they were stressed or whatever, I took all that in to mean that there was something wrong with me, that I, I was not, I mean, honestly, it came down to this belief that I was not lovable, I was not worthy, I was not valuable, and that translates into not being good enough. We are talking with the author of Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. Website is BeBiggerToday.com, and it's overcoming our self-imposed limits to have the life we want. I will tell you, Peter, I've coined the phrase perceived limitations. We'll talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Once again, my guest is Peter Alexandria. And Peter, I wanted to ask you in regards to this whole aspect of overcoming our self-imposed limits. In spite of what you said about how we got those messages from the outside world, i.e. the people around us, who got it from people around them as they, as they grew and so on and so forth. It's like this perpetual, I mean, you, you know, everybody's looking for, uh, what is that uh, type of machine that, that once you started it will never stop? And I'm trying to think of the name. It's not a specific name, but it's like the perpetual, perpetual running Energy. machine. Um, yeah. it, it, it's like, it's, it's some kind, it's the, it's not exactly the kind of sustainability that you that you want, but it's being sustained one generation after another. Uh, and I made the comment that, you know, we weren't born with it, obviously. So how is it that you uh, teach? What is it that we need to do to change those self-imposed limits and start looking at it? And uh, the reason I came up with uh, um, perceived limitations. Well, I was born legally blind, and um, uh, by the way, I like you say I I've had no problem sharing. People know I I deal with high blood pressure. I had uh, uh, type two diabetes back in July 2020. Don't have it anymore. Bye bye. Um, I, I don't mind sharing these things. And in th- at the age of 36, had a lens implant. Now I'm driving. I'm, I drive a truck up and down the the, pow- the, the mountain pass to and from work every day. <clears throat> uh, my wife and I have this travel trailer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was driving through L.A. traffic in 2006, and I was looking around going, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm actually, never thought I would, driving in L.A. traffic. Um, so how do we convert that from self-imposed limits to self-imposed unlimits or unlimited thinking of self. Well, let me let me put the question back on you. How did you do that? How did you shift from a person who was so limited to somebody who now has it sounds like a pretty full life? And by the way, I lived in L.A. for 20 years, so I know all about that traffic. <laughs> well, I grew up in Phoenix, and of course, uh, it looks a little bit like L.A. as far as the freeways are concerned. Um, and I will say that there was a, uh, there was a, a short period of time in 1979 after I'd graduated from high school where I 
was sitting at home for six months figuring out what I was going to do. I, I had no clue. And uh, my mom says to me, and it was interesting how prophetic this was, she says, well, why don't you go apply for a job at a local, uh, at a Christian radio station? So I don't want people forcing those ideas down my throat. And besides, it was the state that labeled me legally blind. I didn't do that. They did that. It's not my fault. It's their, you know, it was their fault. That was the, the short-term victimhood. And then I went to junior college and found out about this job and so forth. And it was more... It wasn't even a conscious thing. It was more setting aside uh, the fear of, for example, black vinyl records. The biggest fear I had at that time was queuing up a song in the middle of the album. For those, And if you don't know what that is, folks, Google it, okay? And I learned that I could pull, I could queue up a record for, for airplay in five seconds from reaching back and grabbing it from the... Uh, the rack, record rack. And the reason was because I had my magnifying glass, boom, right next to me, ready to go. And it, it, like I said, it wasn't a conscious thing. It's just what I did. Well, and, let me, so, so, yeah. so that's, so, so let me tie into that because that's perfect lead in. So for me, I believe the first part of the process is just becoming aware that we have this stuff that's holding us back. Now it may be conscious, may be unconscious, but at some point we become aware and as I say, the t- title of chapter one, actually the title of this book used to be, Who Do You Think You Are? And now it's the title of chapter one. And the reason I use that title is because I think that question is the most important question we can ask ourselves. For this simple reason, whoever we think we are is exactly who we're gonna end up being in life. Mm. It's our thoughts and beliefs about ourselves that drive all our decisions, all our choices, how far we reach or don't reach for what may be important to us. So by becoming aware that maybe, okay, so maybe, and I love what you say, you know, perceived limitations. I talk all about the perceptual process in here Mm -hmm. because it's our perceptions. It's not necessarily reality that holds us back. So becoming aware, number one, that there's a challenge, and then number two, becoming aware that we can actually change our self-image. We can change how we see ourselves. Mm. And then, and here's the thing, most people spend their life trying to change their behaviors, trying to break certain habits. I say you don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is change how you see yourself, and your behaviors and habits will change automatically. It's like the cause is this self-image that we carry around that says, we don't have what it takes, or we can't put a record on and find the, the, the record, the song in the middle of the album. Mm-hmm. It's those thoughts and beliefs about ourselves that conspire to hold us back. So as I change my thoughts about myself, my life follows, my life changes. Now, the other big thing that worked for me was, and it sounds, it may sound a little trivial, Richard, or whatever, but it was just being nicer to myself, mm. you know, just moving from being my own worst enemy to my own best friend. Because what I found, especially with the creative stuff, again, as a lawyer, it was a little easier for me to navigate. But as a creative person, as an artist, to put my work out there, it becomes very personal. And so if the work is rejected, then I feel rejected. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn, number one, I had to learn just to put some distance between myself and other people's opinions But more importantly, what I realized was 
it wasn't other people's opinions of me that were the problem. The only person's opinion of me that matters is my own. <laughs> and so it was, I was afraid, I was living with this fear of criticism and rejection, but it was my own criticism and my own rejection that was causing the fear. And as you know, fear equals resistance and resistance means I don't do what it takes to put my work out there, to put myself out there, to get work as a photographer, to, to sell my prints and all of that. So it begins by shifting, number one, becoming aware of the negative thoughts and beliefs that run us. Because here's the other thing. When we get those negative messages as kids, it can be so painful that we dissociate from them. Because as children, we know that we're valuable. We know that we're worthy. We know that we're good. And so when the, the message comes in, you're bad, or you know, you're naughty, or, or you're upsetting me and it's your fault that I'm angry, we take that information in and it, I believe, for me at least, I took it in and it was so painful that I dissociated it from it, I buried it. But it's still there. Yeah. And it's still running my life. And so it comes up when I wanna ask a pretty girl out on a date. Or it comes up when I want to submit my, my work for a show or exhibition. And I say, well, gee, maybe, you know, maybe I really don't, I'm not as good as all these other photographers. Or whatever the negative thought is and belief is. But until I'm aware that it's my image of myself, another way of saying who do you think you are is how do you see yourself? What thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions do you hold about you? Mm. Because it's impossible to act in a way that's inconsistent with our predominant thoughts and beliefs about ourselves. So until we become aware of what's running our lives, we don't have any real hope. For me, at least, I didn't have any real hope of making those changes. And then it was just becoming, as I said, just being nicer to myself, just being encouraging myself instead of beating myself up, holding myself down. Mm -hmm. Peter Alessandria is my guest, and we are talking about his book, uh, which is also, I love this, Peter, is also available in audio, audio book format. Uh, soon, which, soon. It's coming soon, I'm coming soon. That. Okay, fantastic. And I would venture, I would hope, you are the one reading it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reading it, I'm recording it, reading it, and editing it all in my living room. Oh, so. my gosh. You too, huh? But I have... I have the soundproofing up. I got the whole. I got the whole thing. Excellent. I have to tell you uh, very briefly that um, I was listening to audiobooks before audiobooks were called audiobooks. Uh, as I said earlier, I was born uh, legally blind, so I was listening to what they called talking books for the blind and recorded recordings for the blind. One was for for leisure reading, and the other one was textbooks. I also had large print books too, but. Uh, I, you know, and that's so much fun. And I got to tell you, you have got to be having a blast, uh, honestly, uh, re recording it and playing with the editing and all of this kind of stuff. At least I hope you are. I, I know that I, I would. I would be. I have, I have my moments. It, it's, turned into, <laughs> it's, it's turned into a much bigger project than I thought it was going to be because I've had to re-record because of some technical issues. I mean, I knew enough just to get myself in trouble. So now I'm kind of undoing mm -hmm. and redoing a lot of it. But I think within the next month, it should finally be done. Got to remember too, the book is 105,000 words. 
So there's a lot of material here. Yeah. So it, it takes a while to get it all. Yeah. And, and I had to work on my delivery as a narrator and all that. So exactly. I mean, there are a lot of elements. I'll, I'll give you a few uh, few of uh, my tips after with the interview here in, in that regard that might help you out a little bit. That I've recorded some audio books lately for some people. A children's book, actually. I am just beyond proud, almost to tears. Uh, with this book called uh, uh, Ghost Girl in Car Number 9. It's available on Amazon in a hard copy as well as Audible. And um, produced it. I had the gal come in from Washington State, uh, sat down for two two-hour sessions, recorded the book, not a big one, uh, added some sound effects. I thought, you know, I need some transition music. And it's like Grandma sitting and reading to the kids. Fascinating stuff. But enough about that. Be bigger than you think you are. BeBiggerToday.com's the website. And uh, Pete Alexandria, Alexandria is my guest, and we are talking about his book, the latest work that he has out right now. Again, be bigger than you think you are, and we hope that you will stay tuned as we continue talking about this. We will be linked to Peter's website as well, which is BeBiggerToday.com, so don't forget that. We are talking about... Um, Self-image here. We're talking about self-esteem. We're talking about, uh, you know, courage and uh, and all of those different aspects that that come from some of the adversities that we face. Now, I myself, I don't know about you, Peter, but I was uh, I was bullied in school. Didn't like it. Nobody does Uh, have since learned, of course, that it is the bully that is more afraid than me. And. of course, I did really well in track and field in grade school. Uh, I learned to run, <laughs> to stay stay a few steps ahead of the bullies. Um, but there were those who say, oh, come on, Richard, what's the big deal? You know, and that helps to build character. And I've talked with people about bullying, and they say, no, uh, that is not the way that we build character. We have enough challenges in our lives. Uh, we don't need that. It's like when I train someone here on a console that, that you know, at the radio station or in a studio. Uh, I am not going to start screwing around with the board and pushing buttons on them and stuff like that. They don't need that. They're going to run into en- just like you are doing with uh, recording your audio book. They're going to run into enough uh, challenges along the way. They don't need me to throw it in there now. They need to learn how the tools work. It's like. Here, here's a hammer without a head on it. No claw, no hammer head. Just a piece of wood. Well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, it's a hammer. But it's incomplete. And it's like, no, no, no. You're going to hit your thumb a few times, okay? And I'm going to make sure that the hammer's complete. So that's kind of where I come from in terms of in terms of this aspect of the challenges in our lives. We don't need help from others. You know, we're going to do enough through the choices. But speaking of choices, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, I heard this and it changed the way I looked at where I am today and where I want to be tomorrow. Now, would you agree that, and you don't have to, okay, this is not, we're both in agreement here. The choices that we have made in the past have made us who we are today, and the choices we make today will put us where we are going to be in the future. So we should be really conscious of the choices we make, right? Absolutely. Okay. I can, I can predict my future now. My future, I can, I can tell you what my future is going to be based on the choices I'm making today. Mm-hmm. So the example I give in the book is think about a painter. 
A painter has a blank canvas. So she starts by picking her brushes and her paint, and then she decides each choice of where to place that paint on the canvas. Mm -hmm. Stroke after stroke is choice after choice, decision after decision, and eventually she has a completed picture. That's exactly how we create our lives. Okay. It's now, stroke by stroke, choice by choice, decision by decision. Now, how about so, how about okay. this little twist, Peter? How about this little twist that I heard and I thought, wow, I had never thought of it this way. Our perception of the future we think will be is going to determine the choices we make today. So, yes, and mm -hmm. so as I talk about in my book, in chapter two, the title of chapter two is Taking Responsibility. And what I've learned for me is that nothing will change in my life until I begin to take responsibility for it. And as I say, I can't change any of it until I take responsibility for all of it. Now, the problem with that is many people perceive responsibility in me having been a lawyer. You know, we look at responsibility as liability, as culpability, mm -hmm. as guilt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I say in my book is, no, that's not the kind of responsibility I'm talking about. I say very clearly, responsibility is not the same as blame. Responsibility is not about liability, because the minute we get into that, then I don't want to take responsibility for my choices and my decisions. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take responsibility for my life, because then it just becomes more evidence that I'm a bad person, that I'm a screwed up person, that I got problems, because I can't handle my life. So what I say, responsibility is about awareness, accountability, and action, the three A's. So I become aware that what I've done has had an effect, perhaps a negative effect on myself or somebody else. Uh, I become willing to be accountable if there are negative impacts on myself or another person. And then I take action to set things right. That's how I look at responsibility. And, as, and, and I, I take responsibility for my part in things. I don't take responsibility for somebody else's part. And by doing that, that begins this process where now I have an opportunity to actually make changes in my life. Because chapter three in my book, the title of chapter three is called True Power and True Happiness. Now, true power is what we were talking about a minute ago, where we make conscious and deliberate choices and decisions about how we're going to act or react. Okay. I... You know, and, and, and again, what I found so fascinating about this gentleman's um, comment in that regard was the fact that, again, I hadn't really looked at it quite that way. And again, it doesn't it doesn't change a whole lot. I mean, it really doesn't. It doesn't, you know, transform my world. And OK, now I'm thinking totally differently. But it just kind of opened up a little Okay, so how am I? And 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 his 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 basically he was really talking on a, on a higher level of um, let's say government. All right, they're they're making choices today based upon the way they would like to see the future. Okay, in terms of other countries or the economy or the pandemic or whatever it is, you know, they want it gone. The pandemic, as we all do. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about something simple. At least I hope it's simple like the economy, but keep it small, like personal economy, individual economy, everybody, most everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people, especially in this country, 
are facing enormous, enormous economic challenges right now. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's immune. I'm not immune from it. And we are um, trying to figure out how to move forward. I have been, for example, communicating with my uh, creditors, like most people, and I hope. I have found that that is the, the best way to try to, uh, to, to work through some of this, is to communicate with the creditors. Uh, they already know that everybody is, is struggling. You know, it's not like you have to enlighten them. They're not living under a rock somewhere. And yes, they all have rules. You know, they have their own regulations. They have their own policies. But that doesn't mean that there can't be a shift. So when it comes to our personal economy, many people don't think that they're worthy of a four-figure income, a five-figure, six-figure, seven-figure. Not that that's necessarily the most important thing, but even the growing forward in that regard, they don't think that they have, they don't think they're worthy. Uh, there's a song, you're, I know you're familiar with it, just like me, Amazing Grace. And I heard it for the first time with new ears the other day, and this kind of goes to your whole aspect of be bigger than you think you are. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. Not me, but a wretch like me, okay? But the key word there is wretch. And I'm going, wait a minute. And again, depending upon your philosophical uh, bent, uh, Peter, um, God didn't create junk. And if you, if you do accept the, 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 the philosophy regarding the sacrifice, we had to have value from the very beginning of creation or there would have been no sacrifice. Why would you, for example, uh, go out of your way for, say, your kids— if they didn't have value to you now and that what you're going to sacrifice in in their names is going to make their lives better. You know, you've heard the phrase from parents. I just want to make I want them to have a better life than I had. OK, so I'm not buying the wretch like me anymore. I just I can't. Beautiful song. Don't get me wrong. But we are inundated from all over the place, Peter, with no, you're not worthy. I got this at the Christian radio station, Peter. Over and over again. Talk to me about that, that mindset that literally it permeates. It's not just coming from our parents or our siblings or the bullies at school. Help! <laughs> yeah, well, well, listen, you're, you're preaching to the choir in this one. I mean, I get it. I totally understand that. Yeah. So um, what I would say is this. So there's a couple of things to consider here. It's our perception of ourselves where it all starts and ends. And we have the power to change that perception. But until we're aware that who we think we are, remember, who do you think you are is the most important question you can ask yourself. Until I become aware that who I think I am is a miserable wretch, or um, I, I'm a fan of A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you're familiar with that. A Course in Miracles says, you think you are the home of evil, darkness, and sin. And I read that, I was like, that's right, I do. And then I thought about my life and I had all this evidence that proved that I was a wretch, that yeah. I was evil, that I, that I had darkness within me. But what we don't understand is the beliefs precede the experiences. 
We go into the situation with that thought about ourselves and guess what's going to manifest? Guess what we're going to attract into our lives? Guess what we're going to have more proof of? So what I suggest and what my book, the one thing about my book, which I think is really interesting is it's a workbook. So at the end of each chapter, there are questions, written exercises that you can do. And the other thing I'll mention is if any of your listeners are interested, every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, I do a, a Zoom, a live Zoom workshop. And we're going through the book chapter by chapter. Actually, it's almost paragraph by paragraph. It's open to anybody who wants to join us. They can find, more, find out more information on the website. But what I do is I try to take people through uh, the practical aspect of, of reprogramming. It's literally reprogramming our thoughts and beliefs about ourselves. Mm. And part of that is questioning all those negative thoughts and say, is that really true? When I was submitting my photos for some of the shows and exhibitions that I, that I was doing, I would be filling out the application and the thought, you know, the, this voice in my head, which we talked about a minute ago, would, would say, you know, you're just kidding yourself. You're not gonna get into this show, you're no good. And I would stop, once I started on this journey, I would stop myself and say out loud, is that really true? Do I really know that that's the truth? Or is that just something that I made up about myself a long time ago based on things that happened to me, which I had no control over and no understanding of? So we want to begin to reprogram. Now in my book, I give some specific tools and it's everything from simple affirmations to something called a mind movie which is a visual and auditory representation of the new you. It's a, it's a video that you can play on, that you make on your computer or your phone and you can play it. And it's a, it's a daily reminder of who you really are, of, of your, you know, whatever it is you, you want to create with your life. And if you want to move beyond, gee, I can only make $10,000, you know, a five figure income each year. If you want to move to a six figure income, Unless you see yourself as somebody who's capable of that and somebody who deserves that, it's going to be very difficult to, to overcome that. Mm. So I have specific tools in, in the book that, that begin to reprogram. It's all about reprogramming. And then it's about consciously and deliberately changing our idea about ourselves. And I have so many different examples in the book of where when I changed who I thought I was, when I changed how I saw myself, all kinds of things opened up to me that before were not possible. Now, let me say real quick. So, so we start by taking responsibility. We don't beat ourselves up. Responsibility is not the same as blame. And then it's the understanding that I don't. So, so we have to. So chapter three in the book is, is called true power and uh, true happiness. And I describe power as follows. Well, actually, so, so, when I talk about uh, taking responsibility, there are four things that we have that we can take responsibility for in the world. Our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and our actions. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really important relationship between these four things because our thoughts lead to our feelings, our feelings lead to our words and actions, and our words and actions lead to the outcomes that we experience in life. So if I start with crappy thoughts, I'm gonna have crappy feelings. If I have crappy feelings, I'm going to speak crappy words and take crappy actions. And if I speak crappy words and take crappy actions, I'm going to experience crappy outcomes in my life. Now, the opposite is also true. If I start with positive thoughts, positive feelings, positive words and actions, positive outcomes. Those are the only four things I have control over. Those are the only four things I have power over in my life. But those are the only four things I need power over to create the life that I want. And... 
by definition, that means I'm powerless over other people's thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Mm -hmm. I'm powerless over the economy. And to a certain degree, I'm powerless over the government. You know, I have to start with what I have power over. And then, so then I have to understand, okay, this is what's holding me back. I have this idea about myself. I'm not really sure where it came from, but I can see now that it's not really serving me. Then I consciously and deliberately think new thoughts that are, that are empowering, that are proactive, that will move me forward instead of holding me back. And then once the, the, the feelings follow the thoughts, the words and actions follow the feelings, and then my life changes. And again, one of the examples I, I use is the fact that I won all these awards for my photography. When I started, I didn't think I could win one award. And the first award that I won was such a shock that, that I, I, it was like I couldn't believe it. There's a whole story behind that. I'm not going to tell it right now, but it was literally, it was what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. It was so foreign to my idea about myself and the reality that I just couldn't accept it. Somebody literally had to come up behind me and push me on stage to, to accept that award for my photography because I just could not believe it. Mm. So that's what we're up against. We're up against these really deeply held thoughts and beliefs. Most of them are based on the misperceptions, the misunderstandings of child. And that's what runs our lives and we're not even aware of it. Peter, Peter Alessandri is my guest. Uh, his book is Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. If you were watching the YouTube interview, ladies and gentlemen, and if you are listening to this, you're not, I would recommend you go there because when we started talking about this whole aspect of perception, Peter went to camera two. I heard in, the little, in my little earpiece, go to camera two, cue, and away he went to camera two. Uh, of course, he's the uh, director and the producer as well as the, uh, the guest here on the program. We're talking about his book and the website BeBiggerToday.com. I couldn't help but mention that, Peter, uh, because people need to understand that um, uh, it is perception, as I learned many years ago, and this was more uh, when we would do live remotes out in the field uh, with the one radio station I was with. Uh, my boss always told me, set things up, make it look nice, because perception is everything. Okay? Uh, people are going to perceive you and they're going to view you in, in the light that you put out, that you set up this studio or the, the, the table and all of this, the banners and this and that and the other thing. And, and uh, if the wires are taped down and everything, they're going to say, oh, this is a, a, this is a neat station. They, they, they care about what they're doing and so on and so forth. So um, I've always been frustrated here in the Santa Barbara area. Um, and I'm sure that L.A. was like this. You had mentioned earlier that, that uh, uh, you lived in L.A. for a while. The standard business attire uh, is basically your appearance appearance right now. For those not watching the video, once again, he is wearing a nice long sleeve shirt, dress shirt, and a nice dark blue tie. All right? And it's that traditional, what is that, uh, what kind of a knot is that? I can't remember now. Uh, but it's the, it's the only knot I know how to make. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Oxford or something, um, uh, a Windsor knot. That's it. I think it's a Windsor knot. Anyway, and... In Santa Barbara, the standard business attire is um, Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. And, and when I see people come in to the station, my boss is always dressed nicely. Not necessarily a tie, mind you, or, or a dress shirt, but he looks business-oriented. Uh, yeah, you know, and they come in looking like the, the flip-flops and the shorts and everything. I'm going, 
what the heck? I know this is Santa Barbara, but, you know, when you're it's they say the clothes make the man or the clothes make the woman. And when I put on like I'm wearing a a flannel shirt. okay, but it's a long sleeve. I am wearing jeans. okay, but I'm wearing some nice brown loafers, you know, that 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 look good and feel good and everything. Uh, And I feel it's casual, but still it shows an air of I care about what I'm doing. Uh, and you talk about our uh, uh, thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. And it seems to me that I don't care how successful someone is, and that's maybe something we should talk about as well, this whole being uh, be bigger than you think you are, that um, there's an element that we talk about on this program an, an awful lot, Peter, and that has to do with the concept, the construct of, success, or even putting it in a broader term, happiness. Uh, Declaration of Independence says that uh, we have these inalienable rights, and they are among them, not all of them, but among them are life, liberty, and happiness. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, that's pursuit of happiness. We don't get that. See, I don't know why they couldn't give that to us, too, you know. But be that as it may, and so we try to define what that is. So when it comes to being bigger than we think we are, where does happiness come into this picture? So happiness comes in chapter three in my book. <laughs> We're just going and, right down the list, aren't we? <laughs> and and it, comes, it comes along with exercising our true power. See, here's the thing. As long as I'm waiting for someone else to tell me I'm okay or to... Um, uh, be act in a certain way or whatever so I can feel happy, uh, I may be in for a very long wait. Mm. I say in the book that people who are truly happy are probably happy despite the events and circumstances of their lives rather than because of them. And my experience, I don't know about your experience, may be different, but you know, life doesn't always cooperate. So if my happiness is contingent on things being a certain way, then I'm going to have some, some problems. So uh, the way I, the first thing I do is I talk about what happiness is not. So I say people often confuse satis- satisfaction. People often confuse relief, uh, pleasure, physical pleasure, fun with family or friends. We confuse those things for happiness. And I say true happiness is something different. True happiness, first of all, so, so what is satisfaction? Satisfaction is getting something we want. Now, it's great. There's nothing wrong with satisfaction. It's great to get the things that we want. But I can tell you, for me, often what happens is the satisfaction fades over time. Mm. And for mm. the example, I, one of the examples I use in my workshops is, you know, I'm a photographer and I love to have new camera equipment. And so I'm always kind of lusting after the newest, latest and greatest camera gear. And when I get it, it feels really good. But you know what? Five, you know, six months later, it's just another piece of camera equipment. Yeah. So we have this thing where we chase after this, this something outside of us that brings us satisfaction. Nothing wrong with satisfaction, but it's not true happiness. Same with relief. You know, uh, you said very eloquently that a lot of people are struggling financially right now. Um, if we get some form of relief from that, 
it feels really good. We get some money from the government or from a family member or we have some work come in that was unexpected. It feels good. But again, that's relief. That's not true happiness because mm -hmm. eventually the relief fades and the pressure comes back. True happiness remains whether or not there's pressure. Fun with family and friends. Totally cool. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Have a great time. But notice that, you know, within a certain period of time, those good feelings fade as life goes back to the way, you know, to whatever you were doing before. Mm -hmm. And finally, the same with physical pleasure. We have a great meal. We have a great workout. Or we have a great orgasm. Mm -hmm. Don't know if that's a bad word or not. Not at all. Not at all. At, at this time tomorrow, all those good feelings are going to be gone. So was that, if it's gone, was that true happiness? So what I say is true happiness is an internal, ongoing internal decision to feel good no matter what, to feel joy no matter what's going on outside of us, to feel happy regardless of whether they like us or hate us, whether they, you know, they buy my book or they don't buy my book, whether I'm going on vacation next week or not going on vacation, it's totally independent of all of that. Mm. Now, I relate that, and it's an internal choice. Happiness is not a feeling. Joy is a feeling. Um, you know, satisfaction is a feeling. Relief. Happiness is not a feeling. Happiness is a decision. It's a choice that we make. And until we make that choice and decision, we don't experience it. Because the challenge is to feel happy when the stuff is hitting the fan. Now, it doesn't mean we're enjoying those challenges, but we don't give up our peace. And we don't lash out at other people because they're, quote, making us unhappy. I say in the book, the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that other people make us feel something, whether it's good or bad. We are always and only choosing our own feelings. We like to blame other people for those feelings, but the reality is we're always choosing. So, and this goes to what you were talking about earlier, we're always choosing and we always get to experience the consequences of those choices. Yeah. Now, that, that, just the last point on the happiness thing. What I describe in the book as true power is when I consciously and deliberately, so I, def I define true power as the ability to use and or change our thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Now, it's easy to choose good thoughts and feelings when things are going my way. The real challenge is, do I still choose positive thoughts, positive feelings, positive words and actions when somebody's in my face telling me, you know, they're not happy with whatever, or when somebody steals my parking space at the mall, or when a family member is not acting the way I think they should be acting with their kids. There's all these reasons where I give up my peace, where I give up my happiness, but it's always because you're, you're acting some way that makes me feel bad. It's not true. Yeah. We're always and only responding to how we see ourselves in that situation. Here's what happens. So information, we're, we're faced with some kind of an, an event or circumstances in our lives. The information comes in through our senses, and our mind tries to make sense of that information. And what it does, we have this internal filter. And that internal filter we could call our subjective perception. And what happens is that filter takes that information, passes the information through that filter, 
And then what we do is we assign a meaning to that event. We say, okay, this means this. And we, re we react to that meaning. We're not actually reacting to the event. We're reacting to the meaning that we've given that event. Mm. And until we start doing that consciously and deliberately, we are what I call reactors versus creators. Creators are people who decide independently of what's going on outside of them, who they want to be in that situation. And then they think thoughts, feel feelings, take, speak words, and take actions consistent with who they want to be, not with who they think somebody else is being. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we own our power. That's when we take our power back. And that's true of happiness, too. When I can sit in traffic, in L.A. traffic, and still feel joy and contentment when the car hasn't moved in 10 minutes, <laughs> that's when I'm in my power. That's when I'm taking control of my life. That's when I become the creator of my life. Yeah. Whereas if yeah. I'm a victim, if I'm sitting in traffic and I'm feeling victimized by it, guess what? I just gave my power away. And once I give my power away, I'm no longer taking responsibility. And when I don't take responsibility, I can't change how I feel. The situation has to change so I can feel better. That's a recipe for powerlessness and an unhappy life. Well, in my book. Yeah. Pun intended. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. Um, it's interesting, too, how um, in the last um in the, 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 the previous election cycle of 2016, uh, I would epitomize that campaign, and I'm not speaking of specific individuals here because we, we know who was participating. I saw that entire presidential campaign as the campaign of victimhood. It's everybody else's fault that we are where we are as a country, and, and, and we're going to fix this. But it's everybody else's fault. Blame, blame, blame. And I'm just sitting here going, uh, no, we did this to ourselves. <laughs> we're responsible. Not to, and I, I like, I, I'd like to abolish some words from the English language, Peter. Blame, failure, success, okay? Because it's all about learning. Blame, change that to responsibility. That's not a dirty word. Oh, well, unless, of course, you're of a particular philosophy that says that, um, uh, you know, God did all of this. Now, I'm not saying created the world because I don't have a clue as to who or what did. But in terms of my actions, you know, you talked about the thoughts, the feelings, the words, the actions. Those are the things I am in control of. And unless I am moving forward and doing those as those elements of my life uh then i'm not moving nothing's happening and it's nobody else's responsibility but mine so um uh, and then of course success and failure i mean the example is constantly given peter of edison he said he never failed he just found 990 huh he said, I have not failed. I have found 10,000 ways that didn't work. That's right. Exactly. So what it was, was it was a process of learning, education, and it wasn't formal. It was, shall we call it on the job or street smart, so to speak. Okay, let's try this. Let's try. Um, and so as we move forward, I mean, I, I did the same thing in uh, early in my career, um, as a matter of fact, you, you, when you were talking earlier about all of this, the, the, the things that flashed through my mind were 
at the age of 21, which was a while ago, uh, a good uh, 40 years ago, I was introduced to and participated in as the technical producer for the very first time in my life, and I'd been in the business two years, two years, I was 21, produced my first radio theater. Now, I will tell you how I approached that. I just said, well, um, it's just a long commercial with sound effects and music. That's all it is, because I'd been producing commercials with sound effects and music even in those first two years. Uh, and so that's how we approached it. Uh, when, uh, when I had to uh, face the uh, uh, daunting task of learning how to, um, how to uh, work through what they call a traffic program, which basically logs the commercials and promos and PSAs for the radio station in the log that they use as they're going through their broadcast day. I mean, I kind of knew what it was, but I'd never done one before. I, now I do it all the time, and of course, a lot of the algorithms, it does it for you most of the work instead of by hand. Uh, in terms of uh, running an automated computer, automated uh, radio station, I had to do the same thing. It's like, well, I, I, you know, I've been introduced in 94, and here it is, 99, and I'm having to do this, so there we go. And so it's, it is a matter of perception as to how we view those events in front of us as to what actions, how we're going to feel about it, how we're going to think about it, um, if there let are me, any words to be you. said. Let me, let me stop Go ahead, right go there. ahead. It's, 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 it's how we see ourselves. Ah. See, when I see myself as lovable and capable, then you know what? I'm going to take those healthy risks mm -hmm. that says, you know what? I don't really know how to do this, but I, it, because what happens is, so the, <clears throat> the thing that we want to do is become aware of how we see ourselves in that situation because that's the determining factor. Now, I say <clears throat> there's no such thing as failure. There's no such thing as a bad choice or wrong decision if we're willing to do two things. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is what you've been saying, being willing to learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. But the second part of the equation is we have to be willing to forgive ourselves for our mistakes. And I think that's what sets somebody like Edison apart from all his competitors, because I, you know, if if I was more into beating myself up for my failures than I was in being kind to myself, being nice to myself, being, you know, loving myself, I would never try 10,000 things uh, if I was going to beat myself up after every time. So as I learned to forgive myself and I learned to learn from my mistakes, then there is no such thing as failure. There is no such thing as, as um, even a mistake. It's just something that didn't work out the way we thought it was. Exactly. But we learned something valuable from it, mm -hmm. hopefully. Mm -hmm. But I can't learn something valuable if who I think I am is bad, if who I think I am is unworthy. See, the failure, the mistake, or the not having the outcome we want, then it just becomes more proof that I'm unworthy. So until I change my idea about myself, I can't really experience the thing not working out in a positive way because the thought, the perception, the belief is that I'm bad, I'm unworthy, I don't have what it takes, I'm stupid, I'm not capable, and the mistake or failure, quote-unquote failure, becomes more proof of that. Mm. Whereas when I change that programming, when I say, okay, you know what, maybe I don't know how to do this, but that doesn't make me a bad person, doesn't make me unworthy, you know, the other thing I talk about this in the book, 
I got fired from my first job in LA as an attorney because I was afraid to ask for help. Mm. Because I thought asking for help was an admission that I wasn't, didn't know what I was doing. What that was I that, wasn't good enough. Yeah. What was that like uh, when, you, when you decided to become an attorney uh, and you had you looked up that hill knowing that the top of that hill was the bar exam, but that, that was a long way off. Was it daunting to you or did you uh, uh, compartmentalize it into just small steps? Well, I'm a big believer in, in, in doing small steps and I can talk about that. Um, but I have to say, being a photographer is much, was, is much harder than being a lawyer for me. You know, um, the, the law stuff, I can't say it came easy, mm -hmm. but it was, um, you know, it was more manageable for me. Yeah. The, because I wasn't, it wasn't so personal, you know, mm. uh, whereas with the photography stuff, I mean, this is one of my photos here. Gorgeous. And I, you know, my heart went into, the, this was in the middle of the night. This is Manhattan. That's mm -hmm. the 59th Street Bridge back there. And I found this vantage point. I had to climb up on the top of this, this building. I had to set up my camera. I had to wait for everything to be perfect. So, because I, I had this vision in my mind of having this uh, isolated shot of a taxi cab with all the traffic moving around it. Hmm. Interesting. I had to get up at, at, I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning, drive to Manhattan. You know, it, it was so much, it's, it, you know, being a lawyer was so easy compared to this, you know, <laughs> um, something that I do a lot is I follow the full moon yeah. around, uh, around New York city. So I have to be up in the middle of the night in, in some not, not so nice areas of New York city by myself or with friends. Uh, and, and I live about 45 minutes away, so I got to drive. And we, you know, we go in the middle of the winter when it's freezing cold <laughs> out. You know, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, the same rule, the same rule applies in comedy as in photography. Timing is everything. <laughs> I I have right. to tell you that uh, uh, for th uh, in in college, uh, I took a black and white photography course. To the extent that I went full bore, my brother didn't care for this, but I did it anyway, set up some shelving in our bedroom, I got the chemical trays and the chemicals, all of that stuff, I had a little container canister to develop the film, I had the trays to develop the paper, I had an enlarger, I, had it, I, I could go from taking the picture all the way to the print. And I have to tell you how much I loved it. And it was probably the, the, uh, the, 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 the comparison I would give it is I loved building models, model planes, rockets, ships, cars, um, and so on and so forth. I to the extent that I put these little eye bolts, we had plaster ceilings. So I would put the eye bolts in the ceiling. And we had to put desk lamps on the desks in, the, in our bedroom because I'd blocked out the overhead light from so many models in the ceilings. Oh, that's cool. But photography uh, was such a, such a wonderful thing. And I had the same kind of problem as you because of my vision back then. Uh, I had trouble with the whole aspect of contrast. And I was, I, it looked good to me. And then, of course, my instructor was saying, well, that's fine. It may look good to you, but what if you're doing this for a client? What if they don't like that much or that little contrast? And that's when I kind of said, well, I guess I'll be doing this basically for myself. But it was such a joy, such a blast. Now, that's something I want to talk to you about before we wrap things up here. We are talking with uh, Peter 
uh, Alessandria, and he's got a book. It's entitled Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. We hope you'll go to BeBigger.com and find out more. We will be linked to his website as well. I want to ask you about um, this this aspect of um, the term is being in the zone, okay? When we see athletes, or even myself, when I'm doing production, and I, I, I will look at the clock when I start, and then I'll just kind of glance up at the clock, and I'm just about finished. I'm like, what do you mean it's four hours later? You're kidding me. And I finished the project, like the, the book, uh, Ghost Girl in Car Number 9, uh, and I go back and I listen to it, and it's like, wow. And I am amazed. Not egotistically, mind you. I separate myself from my work, my personality from that, and I'm going... I mean, like I said, I, put, I stuck the CD in the CD player in the car one day, and I was, I was t- in tears because it was like, I can't believe how good that sounds. That is so cool. Who did that? You know, that's kind of where I come from. Um, what about that in terms of... That's, that's being bigger than you think you are right there. Yeah. That's, because, that's because really cool. If, if, we listen to those negative, we would, if we listen to those negative thoughts, we would never share our gifts with the world. You know, and that's what I want people to do. My mission with this book and with my life now is to inspire people to move beyond this, this, the the negative thoughts and beliefs, the self-limiting thoughts and beliefs, so they can actually share their gifts and talents with the world and make the world a better place. Yeah. You know, I want to inspire people when I speak to audiences, they could be students or they could be adults, you know, photographers. You know, I always get people who come up to me afterwards and say, oh, that was so inspiring. Now I want to try this, you know, with my photography or with something else. Mm-hmm. I had an experience. I was invited to go down to Central America, to uh, South America, Columbia, South America. And I spoke during at this college during the International Week where they brought they brought people in from out of the country to speak. And I spent a whole week uh, and, and and I was somebody I also talk about this in the book. I was somebody who was terrified of public speaking. I mean, the only reason I was able to do that or even do this in this moment is I've changed how I see myself now. So I don't beat myself up so much. I'm not so hard on myself when I, when I do things like present. And at the end of the, at the, end of the week, so I spoke at five different, four, three or four different colleges, uh, probably 1,500 students, and it was the last night in Colombia, South America. I'm getting ready to go back to the U.S. the next day. And I was out photographing the city with one of the translators from one of my talks. And I was showing him and his wife how to do some nighttime photography. Now, we were nowhere near the school. We were on the complete opposite end of town. And there was a group of college-age kids not far from where we were. And at one point, one of them came over, and he, he walked right up to me, he must have overheard me speaking to the, the translator and his wife. And he said, I, I know who you are. He said, you're, you're that photographer who's in town and, and talking about your photography from the U.S. And I, I was a little surprised, but I thought, OK, so he must have attended one of the lectures. So I, I said to him, I said, how did you like the program? How did you like the, uh, the talk? And he said, oh, I didn't see you speak. <laughs> he said, my, my friend saw you speak and he's been telling everybody about you because you inspired him to pursue his dreams in life. Oh, wow. Now, when I heard that, I was just, my, my mouth just dropped, you know, and, and I looked at the translator and he looked at me and started nodding. And it was that moment when I realized, you know, when we give our, when we become bigger than we think we are, we give our gifts back and, and it helps other people. 
You know, it, it's like we, we inspire other people to their own greatness, not in an arrogant way. This is not about, look at me, I'm this great photographer. Because I go and I talk about, I was filled with self-doubt. I mean, it's embarrassing, some of the stuff I've written in this book, you know, because I was afraid to, to show my photos on Facebook when I started. Mm. That's, how, that's how mired I was in the self-hatred, is what it was, the self-loathing, that I couldn't even show my photos on Facebook. So when I reveal that to people, when I talk about self-doubt, I talk about self-recrimination, you know, a big source of the fear that I felt, as I said, it wasn't somebody else's criticism. It was my own. It was my own self-recrimination that was creating all this fear and anxiety. Mm. When I talk to people about that, just like you're doing right now, they start nodding because I have yet to meet somebody who doesn't have some of this. Mm. Now, I don't have the greatest story in the world. I didn't overcome cancer. I'm not... You know, I don't have this huge thing, but what I have found is that everybody, at least a little bit, relates to what I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. And it's my belief that it's this self-doubt, the self-loathing, you know, I'm not good enough, nobody's going to like me, that keeps us from, from sharing the gifts that I believe God gave us with the world. So my goal, my vision, my mission is to inspire people to move past that so they can make that contribution, so they can be of service, so they can make a difference in the world. We're talking with Peter Alessandria, and we are talking about his latest work, and that is Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. And uh, as a man thinketh, so is he. <laughs> uh, also, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. And I have been a firm believer that that's a two-edged sword. When you see adults behaving and acting and doing the things that they're doing, it's because that's how they were raised. And if you want an adult to be a particular way, and I don't mean programming here, then you are going to raise that child up in such a way as that's how they will become uh, full, fully human. And that's what we're talking about here is really becoming fully human and and uh, Peter, I want to thank you uh, for joining us here on the program. Uh, before I let you go, I, uh, I do have three final questions for you, but I really appreciate the insight. I mean, we could uh, literally go on for another hour uh, talking about this. And uh, to me, this is all, it's just all extraordinary. It really is. Thank you. I feel the same way. I want to remind our I listeners. Hope, I hope, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I, I just going to say, I hope everybody else feels the same way. Well, I hope they do, too. And, 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 it, and the thing that I've always been fascinated by is uh, <clears throat> it's uh, not only the things that we have control over, thoughts, think, feelings, uh, uh, actions and words, um, uh, but it is also the choices that we make um, that are going to determine uh, uh, where we're going to be tomorrow and the next day. And, and that's why this program is designed to bring people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true, whatever they are. Uh, so we encourage people to do that. We also encourage you to go to uh, richarddugan.com to listen to the podcast as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations. We're on YouTube where you can watch this interview and uh, uh, watch the uh, two-camera shot that Peter has been playing with here on the program today. Uh, and um, one of these days, who knows, we'll, we'll advance. I, I was not going to do video uh, until uh, July of last year, uh, only because... I can't just sit down and away we go. 
I have to make sure everything is said and I have to make sure what's behind me, which in this room is not the greatest with the soundproofing, but it ain't bad. Um, normally I'm in another room and I have a virtual screen behind me, green screen and so forth, uh, but it was not available for this particular interview. Uh, whereas with radio or audio, I just flip a switch, start recording and away we go. So there's a little bit more planning. I'm getting used to that. And actually I'm getting more efficient at having it all ready to go uh, so that I just almost flip a switch and, and, and away we go. I uh, also want to make sure that our listeners know that if uh, you'd like to support the work that we are doing, we would greatly appreciate any financial support you can uh, offer. That's why we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. We also ask you to participate in... Uh, the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. And uh, that's something we didn't really get into that much, uh, although we did talk a little bit about the other voices uh, that uh, people listen to a lot more than the one voice that would uh, help them to get beyond that. And I think we'll have you back to talk more about that next time. What do you think? That's my next book. That's your next book. Well, uh, perfect. See? We're, we're in sync here. We're in sync. I don't know where it is, if it's here or if it's here or if it's out here somewhere, but I don't care. Uh, it's always nice to, uh, to know that there's some synchronicity in the universe. Uh, before we do let you go, of course, I always ask these three questions of my guests at the end of the program. And uh, you may have answered them in some fashion during the interview, but I do like to ask them pointedly. And the first of those three questions is... <clears throat> Who is Peter Alessandria? Well, I'm going to start by telling you who I'm not. So I'm not my past, <laughs> not my mistakes. I'm not my shortcomings and my limitations. Now, as I've been saying for most of the program today, I am who I think I am. And so what I do now is I have a vision statement. I have um, different tools that I use that reprogram those thoughts and beliefs about myself. The very short answer is I'm somebody who's valuable, who's worthy, who's lovable, who's talented, who's capable, and uh, somebody who it's okay to have a good life. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you know, my mission with the book now is to help people overcome those obstacles, those limiting thoughts and beliefs that they have about themselves that literally cause people to give up on their dreams, that cause people to not uh, pursue what makes their heart sing, and thus that stops people from making their greatest contribution to life. So I'm here to inspire people. I'm here to encourage people. Uh, as I said, Richard, every Wednesday night I do a, a Zoom workshop. Everybody's welcome. It's open to anybody who wants. You can register on my website at BeBiggerToday.com. And we talk every week about how to move past those blocks so we can have the life that we want. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life purpose is to share this message. You know, um, I still love my photography. I love the creativity that comes along with that. Uh, and, I, and I've seen, you know, people have acknowledge me time and time again for bringing something positive into their lives through my art. Um, but this is really the forefront now for me. My, my, my goal, my mission, my vision is to elevate the planet in terms of our consciousness, help people see themselves as, as more lovable and capable than they think they are. Well, I thank you so much for what you have uh, brought us uh, on this program today. 
I'm very grateful, and I'm looking forward to uh, having you back again to talk about this aspect of uh, intuition and the still small voice and all of that that is encompassed in uh, this whole conversation about uh, being bigger than we think we are. That's not the title of his book, folks. That's my paraphrase. The title of the book is Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. And BeBiggerToday.com uh, Be is the website. Once again, thank you so much for uh, being with us here on the program. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, Podcast, video cast, love to lull.